Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are a holy and majestic and righteous God. And as we come and consider uh, the work and the toil that you have given us to do in this world, uh, we ask that uh, you will help us as we explore your word uh, to find meaning and hope. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In our congregation here this morning, we have lots of different types of workers. We have full-time workers who work at banks and farms and hospitals and in construction and driving trucks. We have part-time workers. We have workers whose job it is to look after their family. There are volunteer workers. Uh, We have a number of travellers whom I'm guessing your work involves maintaining a caravan and a car and uh, packing up and setting up at various caravan sites. Uh, There may even be people here this morning who are looking for work. And the question we're going to think about this morning is this. What makes work, any work, meaningful? Is it making stuff? Is it getting paid? Is it the relationships? Is it fulfilling your potential? Uh, The late Steve Jobs said, The only way to do great work is to love the work you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking. Don't settle. As with all matters of the heart, you'll know when you find it. See, in our culture at the moment, work is not just about the task or even about uh, the money that you earn, but it's about the fulfilment. It's about reaching your potential. I looked up a job advertisement in Kununurra on Seek this week, and I'm just going to read you a part of it. It says, uh, From small everyday moments to larger scale changes unique to a business like ours, as retail leader, you'll really see the difference your work makes every day. You're an important part of an Aussie icon at the heart of the nation. And it says this job, it's about joining a team where your well-being and professional development is our investment and celebrating your contributions is the norm. Now that job's got some high expectations, doesn't it? Some high expectations of yourself applying for the job and some high expectations of the company. Uh, You might be surprised to find that the job was working at a local petrol station. Now it might be a fulfilling job. But the high expectation of work, of fulfillment, of being able to reach your potential, is that what work is all about? See, we live in a society where even though that's the dream, that's what people are reaching for, the reality is a little bit different, isn't it? Work is hard. Work is frustrating sometimes. Work, instead of reaching out to fulfill your potential, can just feel like a monotony over and over and over again. So how do we find meaning in work? And that's what the author of Ecclesiastes asks today as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Last week we saw that the teacher declared that life is meaningless and we were introduced to this word kevel. Uh, Kevel is a Hebrew word and it's like the the cold breath on a cold morning. I actually experienced that in Kananara this week, which was very unusual. And it's that idea that it's there, but you can't grasp it. It's there one moment and gone the next. And it's translated as meaningless or vanities in our English translations. And so the conclusion of the teacher is that life was meaningless. But we saw that life is not meaningless because God will judge and Jesus has risen from the dead. 
Well, today we shift gears a little and we're going to consider one aspect of our lives that all of us spend a considerable amount of time doing, and that is work. How is the work we do meaningless and meaningful? And so what's actually happening here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is that the teacher has great wisdom. Are we At the end of chapter 1 in verse 16, he states that he's increased in wisdom before all who came before him. And what the teacher does is he takes that wisdom and he starts uh, testing different areas of life in search for meaning. It's like if you receive the advice of, as a parent of teenagers, uh, if you don't know where your kids are in the house, turn off the internet and watch them magically appear. You might want to test that advice and see if it works. Well, the teacher in Ecclesiastes is testing his wisdom to find meaning and, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, to find meaning in work. And so first, we're going to look at work's pleasure because the teacher starts by testing not work but pleasure. In verse 1, it says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. The conclusion of the test but that also proved Kevil, meaningless. In verse 2, he tried laughter. He flicked on Israel's funniest home videos, but that didn't accomplish anything. In verse 3, he tries wine and embracing folly. Now, it says that his mind was still guided by wisdom, so I take it that the teacher here was not getting blind drunk, but rather he was still in control, but he was using wine as an escape to relax, to, to numb the senses as a way of finding meaning. Many people today look for alcohol as a way of escape, as a a way of finding meaning. There's the regular scene in the movie where the character is looking at the bottom of a bottle and someone asks, did you find what you were looking for? And that's sadly an Australian way of life. Many in Australia are looking for meaning in the bottom of a bottle. Now while verse 3 doesn't give us a conclusion as to what the teacher found there, we can jump to verse 11 where we see the conclusion of his test. Everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Alcohol and wine is not going to give you the meaning that you want or need. And so after testing pleasure, the teacher then tests work. He sets about, in verse 4, undertaking great projects. He builds houses and he builds vineyards. In verse 5, he builds gardens and parks and plants all kinds of fruit trees. In verse 6, he makes reservoirs and water groves and flourishing trees. It's like the, the teacher is trying to recreate the Garden of Eden. And notice how he doesn't just build one house or one garden. He builds multiple. And then in verse 7, as well as all these, these great works, he acquires a great staff of slaves to do his bidding. And he owns more herds and flocks than anyone who has come before him. And to add to that, his bank balance was very, very healthy. In verse 8, he says, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. And in a time when music was rare, they didn't have Spotify back then, he employed musicians and he just invested himself in all that his heart wanted to do. He followed his heart. He says as much in verse 10. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. I think the teacher in this point would be the poster boy today for follow your dreams. Live the life. You can have it all. 
He did what he wanted to do. He was exceedingly rich. He owned lots. Maybe he was like one of our billionaires today. Elon Musk. Elon Musk in the media at the moment, he just decided, because he felt like it, to buy Twitter for US $44 billion. Following his heart, doing what he pleased. Well, the teacher, he was living the 21st century dream. And he says two things about it. The first thing he says is that his heart took delight in his labour. He found pleasure in his work. See, the greatest pleasure he found was in working, in creating. The teacher has tapped into something that goes as far back as when God created us because we were created for work. In the Garden of Eden, God created us to be able to work the garden, to exercise dominion over it. And so what the teacher has found and discovered is that work is good, that there is pleasure to be found in work, that we can enjoy our work. If you jump down to verse 24, he says, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him... Who can eat or find enjoyment? See, work was not something that was introduced into our world to make it less than perfect, but it was a good gift of God. Now, as you think about your own work circumstances, it might not feel that way sometimes, and we'll look at why that is in a moment. But it is helpful for us to know that there is actually something good about working, creating, producing, using what God has given us. It's a good gift. Do you think about uh, the things that you do for work being a good gift from God? You know, when we talk about work, we talk about earning things, deserving things, our, our right to things, thinking that we've made all these things ourselves. But actually, when we consider that all things under the sun, all things that God has created, are created by God and given to us for our enjoyment, we should be thankful. We should be thankful for the gift of work that God has given us. We can be thankful, if you're a farmer, for the land and the knowledge and the skills that God has given you to know how to to work the land and produce a harvest. If you're a teacher, you can be thankful for the skills that God has given you and being able to relate to kids and impart knowledge. If you're a stay-at-home parent, you can thank God for the opportunity he's given you to invest in your kids. If you're studying, you can be thankful for the opportunity that God has given you to learn. And so maybe you have moments like this in your work where you do find pleasure in it, where it is good and you enjoy it and there's satisfaction. But also hear the second thing that the teacher says about work. In verse 11, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. So let's look now at work's meaninglessness. The teacher now goes on to explain two reasons why work is meaningless. And the first reason work is meaningless is death. You can't take your work with you. Ancient Egyptian pharaohs, when they died, they had buried with them household furniture, food, figurines that were said to be able to be put to work in the afterlife for the pharaoh. There was paintings depicting the dead pharaoh's life. There was treasures. 
And the whole idea was that the Pharaoh would be able to take all these things with them into the afterlife. But reality is a bit different, and we know that, don't we? When you die, you don't take anything with you. You can't take what you've created with your hands. You can't take your money. You can't take your relationships. I like the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. And so the teacher despairs. He comes to hate life. In verse 17 he says, So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me, all of it meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And what the teacher really doesn't like is the fact that his work is going to pass on to someone else who didn't work for it. He's not going to get to enjoy it, but he has to pass it on. And he doesn't know in verse 19 if the person he's going to pass it on to is going to be a wise person or a foolish person. Maybe he's a little bit worried that he's going to have to pass on his fortunes to a son like Rehoboam. Rehoboam was King Solomon's son, and under his reign, the kingdom was divided. Or maybe like Huntington Hartford II. He inherited a cool $90 million and a vast empire of grocery stores, but by 1992 was declared bankrupt and lived in a rundown rental. The teacher fears that his work may end up like that. It sums up the end of verse 19. This too is meaningless. Kevin. You know, we don't even need to go to death to see that in our, our life, do we? we? We see it now. You know, a government works to put in a signature policy, the next government gets rid of it. You might create a, a system that works really nicely in your workplace only for you to take on another job or another role and someone else comes in and gets rid of that system that you've put all your hard energy into. Something you build up and, and work on for years and years and years, you pass it on and it gets destroyed. We all hope that the work that we do, that we will hand over, will be meaningly built upon. But there's no guarantee. And ultimately, death renders all our work meaningless, says the teacher. So that's reason number one for the meaningless of work. Death and we can't take it with us. The second reason is that work is meaningless is work is frustrated. The writer hints at this in verse 23. All their days their work is grief and pain Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Far from being the fulfilment of our dream, the reaching of our potential, work creates grief and pain. If the teacher was writing today, I reckon he'd probably use some buzzwords like stress and burnout and having a low job satisfaction. Work for most of us fails the high expectations that our culture places on it. And this is because even though God has created work to be good, after humanity rebelled against God, part of the judgment of God was that work would be toilsome, frustrated. You can read about that in Genesis 3. And that's our experience of work, isn't it? Most people don't find their work meaningful or fulfilling. And work can still have some good moments. But there are definitely moments of monotony, of stress, of broken relationships, of frustration. You might not even like your job. For most people in our world today, work is just a means to an end, a means to being able to feed the family. Think of uh, 
the person who's working in a factory in Bangladesh, working 14 hours a day uh, for barely a pittance, or the rural African mother with her newborn grinding rock all day to make and sell gravel to get enough food to eat. Work in our world under the sun is frustrated. And this idea that there's a dream job that's going to help you to fulfill your potential and reach your goal and make an impact, that's a dream of our Western culture. It's not a biblical ideal. It's not a biblical truth. See, we couldn't have this ideal except that we live in a rich nation with a greater ability to choose our jobs and negotiate our pay than most of the rest of the world. Even with all so much choice that we have, we still find work frustrating, don't we? And so the teacher declares again in verse 23, meaningless. Kevl. We can't take our work with us once we die. And as we're doing it, it is frustrating. And it's frustrated. So what is work's meaning? Well, we're going to explore what the teacher in Ecclesiastes says, and then we're going to have a look at the New Testament. Does the teacher think that there is any meaning to work? Well, we've already kind of glimpsed that he has said that there is some meaning. In verse 24, he said that work is a gift from God and it's good to enjoy and take pleasure in the work that you do. Work, while it is frustrated, still provides us with the benefits that we can enjoy under the sun. Food, drink, the ability to be generous, to pay for shelter, to buy things for our enjoyment. These are good gifts from God. But is there more? Is there more to work than just being able to make us feel good about ourselves? And the answer is yes. Because under the sun, when it says under the sun, it just means in this world that we live in, that's not our only reality. We also need to consider the heavenly reality. We need to hear the words of the narrator in chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 13, the narrator says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. While our work may be destroyed and not remembered and passed on to a fool, God will remember our work. Death is not the end. He will evaluate and he will judge our work. And what matters to God is not so much the job that we have, but how we have conducted ourselves in that job. And when you work, do you work with the fear of the Lord? Do you work seeking to live God's way in God's world? Just like we saw last week, life matters because God will judge us. So too this week we see that our work matters because God will judge us. There is an eternal reality beyond this world that makes what we do in this world matter. And so we can see in the book of Ecclesiastes that work does have meaning. But then we also see this in the New Testament as we consider Jesus. Jesus worked, and his work was meaningful. And his work was meaningful not only because of the way he worked. In the words of Ecclesiastes, Jesus feared God and kept his commandments, and he did that perfectly. But it's also because of the work that Jesus did. 
See, Jesus' work was to bring eternal life. And on the eve of his death, Jesus says in John 17, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Jesus' work was to make a way for people to know God and live forever, to have eternal life. And he did this as he died on the cross for our sin and then three days later rose from the dead. Jesus' work, far from being passed on to a fool to be destroyed, remains his work because he came back to life. And now he sits in heaven with God ensuring that firstly his work will be completed and secondly, His work will last for eternity. His work will not be thwarted by death because he defeated death. He came back from the grave. His work is not going to be frustrated by sin because Jesus was sinless. And so Jesus' work goes on forever. And he wants us to share in that work. He wants us to know the freedom of having our sin forgiven by God, of knowing the peace that being in relationship with God brings, to benefit from his obedience, his perfect obedience and willingness to do God's work. And so the implication for us is this. We need to believe in Jesus. That is the most important work that we can possibly do is to believe in him and have eternal life, to share in his work. See, God wants us to find our fulfillment in Jesus, not in the the work that we do under the sun. William Taylor says it like this, We're desperately wanting to find fulfillment and to realize our potential, but God never intended us to fulfill our potential through work, nor did God ever intend us to find ultimate satisfaction in work. And the reason for that is because fulfillment and satisfaction is to be found not in the work that we have done, but in the work that Jesus has done. His work on the cross. Eternal life. And when we share in Jesus' work, when we believe in Jesus, that's then going to affect the way that we work. Because no longer are we going to be looking for fulfillment and satisfaction for who we are in our work. Instead, we will be free to work for God. We can work in such a way that we can fear God and obey his commands. It means we will have different priorities about the work that we are doing. We can work with different goals. While your colleague might be working for their benefit and gain, you can work for God, seeking to love your neighbour. You might have different goals from the organization that you're working for because the organization that you're working for is working for for money, for the, the things of this world, but instead you're working for not an earthly boss, but a heavenly boss, seeking to live his way. It means that there there are some jobs that people who believe in Jesus won't take and can't take with good conscience. 
you know, jobs in the sex industry or in a crime syndicate, for example. There might be some things in your job that you are currently doing that you might have to say no to because you can't do them in good conscience. Uh, this week we've seen seven manly football players who refused to play in a match because in good conscience before God they couldn't wear the jersey that they were told to wear. There might be moments like that for you in your workplace when your boss asks you to do something you can't do in good conscience. And sharing in Jesus' work also means that we can share in work that will last for eternity. Work that won't be taken away from us. In our workplaces. As we seek to build relationships with people, as we pray for people, as we seek to share the gospel with people and, and sow seeds and invest in people's lives so that they can know about Jesus' work. We're investing in work that will last for eternity. You know, that prayer for your workplace, that conversation by the water cooler about church, that intentional invitation to church. We work for a different boss with different goals because we find our fulfillment in Jesus. We're working for God, not man. Jesus' gospel works is going to last into all eternity. It's going to matter for all eternity and we are called to be a part of that. And maybe you're here this morning and uh, you've got the desire and maybe God will give you the desire to think about going into ministry full-time, investing your time and your energies full-time into gospel ministry. Maybe that's something you can consider. So work is meaningful. Work is meaningful because of the work Jesus has done for us on the cross. Work that's going to go on into all eternity. And it's meaningful because God is going to remember the work that we've done. He's going to remember how we have worked. And he's going to remember who we were working for. Him or humanity. We need to take the narrator's final comments about honouring God and keeping his commandments. And that's what we need to seek to do in our workplaces. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work of Jesus. We thank you that his work means that we find our fulfilment and our potential in him and not in the things that we do, not in the work that we do with our own hands. Uh, we thank you that that, is a, that frees us uh, to be able to serve you. And we ask, Lord, that you'll help us to do that. Help us to serve you in our workplaces, uh, knowing that the work that we do uh, does have meaning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.